0: Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain arose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Can't help but think about Adam and Eve understanding death how they felt their shame, their guilt there in the garden as they hid from the Lord. But then understanding the death as an animal was sacrificed for them. And then when they're expelled from the garden, they're wearing the covering of the animal. So if you can imagine someone killing your favorite pet as a sacrifice for your sins, and you're wearing your pet when you're expelled from the place of glory. It's a very powerful, because we tend to love animals more than we love people. And it's a powerful thing to think about because not only was that blood shed, they were covered literally with the skins of the, the, the animal or animals that were shed in their substitute so they understood death then but now having had children and their children having children and multiplying and the dna and the the, just the quality of the human race and the deformities and all those things were limited and of course people lived hundreds of years in the primeval world before the flood and the ice age after the flood bringing us right to abraham but in this pre-flood world there were superhumans with sin they had an incredible environment. Nothing like we picture of our environment. You can't even imagine. Well, you think of beautiful Kauai, like Hanalei Valley, like picture the whole planet, maybe something like that, if you have a, something that you could imagine. But just a perfect climate at all times in a perfect situation in that primeval or pre-flood world. In these events, Adam and Eve then really saw how far-reaching death was. The, tra- the death of a, a child, you, sh- you, know, you never want a, your children to precede you into eternity. And the death of a child just rips your heart out. The death of a child is just so gut-wrenching that uh, you never really recover. Or as someone told me recently, they just felt like a piece of their heart they lost was restored after years. So one can only imagine how far-reaching the effects of the sin and death that Adam and Eve felt when their son Cain killed their son Abel. Who is sufficient to understand the emotional, the emotion that they must have felt as the head of our race when these things unfolded. But even in this, it's like Romans 5, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It's so heavy. And obviously, first-degree murder is heavy, and that's exactly what happened here. But it's not really about Cain killing Abel as much as it's about Abel and who he is, how he lived his life, and how the Holy Spirit describes his life for us later on in the Word of God we're told in verse four that he came the firstborn of his flock of their fat this is very very interesting for a couple of reasons the principle of the firstborn when god gave so a couple covenants later they're under the adamant covenant so the parents would going to pass on to him the understanding that there's a sacrifice for sin and there's a substitution for sin and it says that you know it came to pass so obviously time went by but it came to pass, and God held them accountable. They stood before the Lord. Much like in the Old Testament, the Jewish men were required three times a year to stand before the Lord. Passover, Pentecost, and Yom Kippur. It's a good thing to stand before the Lord. They're required, and of course, we'll all give an account. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, either by choice and faith in time or by uh, unbelief in eternity before being expelled from his kingdom in the outer darkness. We all give an account. It's appointed on men to die once and then the judgment. And we're either in the Lamb's book of life or the books of unbelief are opened, and we're cast out from his presence, Revelation 20. And Jesus is the judge of all things. So he's, he's the Lamb who's the Lamb's book of life. He's put you there through your faith in him. And when you're not there and you stand before him, every blasphemous, evil, prideful, unbelieving thought, action that's ever been fulfilled in your life. Will be played out in the in those books that are open that the books of unbelief and you'll be cast out it'll be a perfect justice just like when you see criminals perfectly sentenced when justice does take right place properly according to the laws of the land and they will agree before they leave that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father before they are cast out into outer darkness from his presence there's an account and abel and cain in time space and matter We're called to give an account. There's times in our lives when we feel like we're accountable to the Lord. There's times when you're like, we're being weighed in the balances. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. It's the day of the Lord in the valley of decision. There are times as a man or a woman in the human experience, young or old, where you believe and feel that you're being weighed in the balances and you just know it's a defining moment and you know that God is revealing himself to you. Might be sudden, difficult news from a faraway land, gut-wrenching news through a knock on the door could be out in the open ocean in 50-foot seas. But everyone has a day and a time in this journey where that sense of accountability to the Lord. Because Romans tells us in chapter 1 that through creation we're all held accountable to him for his invisible attributes and divine nature revealed in creation. And there's just times when God says, yeah, I'm talking to you. And you can't write it off to coincidence because he's put eternity in our hearts. And that day came for these guys. And so they come, Abel, and Cain. It's fascinating to me that in that post-garden, primeval, pre-flood world, Abel immediately began to raise a flock, livestock. And we don't know what any other act of his life, other than when he came before the Lord, he came with the firstling of his flock, the firstborn. Now, this is what's interesting. So you have the Noah covenant, then you have the Abrahamic covenant, then you have the Mosaic covenant when God made the Mosaic covenant and gave the law, the 10 commandments, the moral law, the social law for the nation of Israel and the religious law for the, you know, the festivals that represent Christ, all that represents Christ. But when he gave the law, he said, whatever opens the womb is mine. The firstborn is mine. The firstborn is mine. The firstborn is mine. The firstborn is mine. Now, some of you might not think that much about that passage, but God had a principle that he's the first, he gets the first fruits. It's like the tithe. See, even before God instituted tithes on the nation of Israel, when Abraham, the father of faiths, came before Melchizedek after the plunder of the five kings, he gave a tithe to Melchizedek, who was one over him, is greater than him, representing the Lord, the king of Salem. He recognized that. You have to trust the Lord, but whatever opens the womb is the Lord's. But not only that, everything is the Lord's. What do you have that the Lord didn't give you? But I find it very interesting in Adam Passed on to Abel, that Abel comes with the firstborn of the flock. He comes with the best of what he's got, the first of what he's got, not the leftovers. Like Pastor Chuck used to say, don't bring your junk to church. You bring your first fruits. Because Jesus Christ on the cross is not junk. It's everything. God gave everything. The definition of love is Christ on the cross. God saw the world he gave. In a, in a, a race of takers, Jesus Christ came and showed us what giving really looks like he gave himself. No one takes my life from me. He said, I give my life, and we understand that Abel was a giver, and he came, and he gave of his first fruits that opened the womb. He understood that what he had was the Lord's, and he had no problem recognizing that with the Lord. He was fulfilling the righteous law of God before it was even given to the nation of Israel thousands of years before it was given. That is worth contemplating. But even after the law was given, it's not a have to, it's a get to. It's very interesting what David said. He said, I'll not give the Lord that which cost me nothing when he bought the land to build the temple where his son Solomon would build the temple. Oh, I'll give it to you. No, no, no. I'll not give the Lord that which cost me nothing. Coming from the pastor's conference this last week, so many times it was emphasized that we're a giving, the church of Jesus Christ is giving, and we're givers, and we give of our lives in ministry, and we give of our time and our energy and our resources, and we love and we forgive, and we keep going forward, and we give and we give and we give because Christ pours out on us all the more as we give. Abel was a giver. His brother Cain was a taker. Cain took life, Abel gave his first fruits to the Lord. Cain' descendants. They built and they built and named cities after their children. They killed killed when they felt offended. They were takers. They took life. God gave Adam a wife. Cain's descendants took two wives. What a contrast. We don't know if Abel had a wife. If he did, she became a widow. And he gave the fat. You know, you don't think that much about it, but in the law... The fat's the Lord's. On all those offerings, the trespass offering, the burnt offering, the sin offering, there's something about the fat. It's the blood and the fat, and the fat is the Lord's. And Abel, before the law was given, multiple covenants before the law was given, he came with the, what opened the womb, and he came with the fat. He's a giver, and the Lord was everything to him. He wasn't like his dad and mom hiding in the garden with fig leaves wrapped around him. He was a man of faith, justified by his faith, and when he can when it in the, when it became time to stand before the Lord, he came and he came with his best. He came with his best. He brought the best, but he also came with a sacrifice, his lamb, an offering. It says it, the first one of the flock of the fat, and he came with blood, because he knows that he's a sinner. And long before all these other Israelites, long before Noah built an altar and sacrificed clean birds, long before Abraham, God made a covenant with Abraham, and he sacrificed the animals and the fire consumed them from the dark of the night, long before that ever happened, Abel showed up before the Lord and he says, here's my best and here's my sacrifice with blood. He understood the life is in the blood. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. But we're also told that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away our sins. And aren't you glad we don't have to sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats? Aren't you glad we don't have to make a trip to Israel and find a red heifer on the corner in the Jewish quarter and go to the Temple Mount there? And I mean, but Jesus died once for all. Every single sacrifice from this one right here actually going back to chapter 3 that covered his parents' nakedness. Every single sacrifice of blood is a foreshadow pointing to Jesus Christ dying on the cross at the place of the skull. And Christ died once for all. So that's why the cross is the end declaration of God's love and fulfillment of making one with man. Atonement. It's through Jesus Christ. Because as good as that animal was, as innocent and perfect as that animal was for an animal in the garden... It's not made in God's image and glory with the knowledge of eternity and the things of God to worship God. Only Adam and Eve were and their descendants. And as incredible as it is for able to bring this offering and the blood of this offering superhuman with his faith, it's not sufficient. And your blood's not sufficient and my blood's not sufficient because we die for our own sins. We do not have the capacity to be a substitute for someone else's sins. And the wages of sin is death, and that death is spiritual, physical, and eternal. So only one from eternity, Jesus Christ, is that acceptable sacrifice. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Because he he finishes, there is no more blood to be shed. It is finished. And the book of Hebrews tells us he died once for all. It's not Jesus plus Passover or Jesus plus anything else. Jesus died once for all. If anyone be in Christ, a new creation, all things have passed away, all things are new. In Christ, we're made alive. In Adam, all sin and die. We're, we go from condemnation to justification, from darkness to light, from death to life. And Abel understood that. We're told in Colossians that the things of the old, the old covenants, the previous covenants, are shadows of things that come, but the substance is Jesus Christ. This is, Offering with its blood is a shadow of things to come. But Jesus Christ, on God, even when Abraham took Isaac to the place where Christ Himself would be crucified two thousand years before, and what did the Lord do? He didn't have Abel, excuse me, Abraham offer up Isaac. He had a lamb in the thicket. Yet again, he had the sacrifice where he would sacrifice his son as a typology that two thousand years before it happened. But this is the first type. In many ways, Abel's two types. He's a type of Jesus being persecuted by religion and executed by religious humanity in, in their unbelief, just like Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders. And what did Jesus say to the religious leaders? The blood of Abel, all the way to Zachariah, has come upon you in this generation. He held them accountable for the blood of Abel. Do you realize that, connecting this chapter? Jesus Christ held those religious leaders of Israel accountable for this event when Cain killed Abel. He said, the blood of Abel is on you. This is the first type, the shadow of things that come, but the substance is Christ. His offering is a type and his life is a type. He's a double type. It's the daily double. So he came with the lamb and the blood, the substitute, but he also was respected by God. God accepted his offering. God said to Cain, uh, to Cain, if you do well, you know, will you not be accepted? You know, we'll cut to Cain in a minute, but the two ifs are amazing that God says to Cain. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door. So think very carefully about what your next step is. It's the Lord respected Abel and his offering. And we don't have to wonder what it meant and what it means when it says that God respected his offering. Because we're told in the New Testament, that by faith, Abel offered up an acceptable sacrifice and God declared him righteous because of it. And Jesus Christ refers to Abel as righteous Abel. Think about this. How many people did Jesus look at and say or reference and declare that they were righteous? That's a pretty big word to use because that's a right standing before God. And Jesus said that he called Abel righteous Abel. And Hebrews 11, for faith is the substance things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. And by faith, we know that God created everything out of that which was nothing. We just covered that in the first three chapters of Genesis. And then the first person in Hebrews 11, hall of faith is Abel whose sacrifice still speaks to us. And he's called righteous. Now, it is interesting, two covenants later, after the Noah covenant and then the Abrahamic covenant, when God accepted Abraham's offering in Genesis 15, he says in verse 6, it says that Abraham believed God's promises and it was accounted or reckoned to his account as righteousness. Though that verse is quoted three times in the New Testament to help us understand how we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ as his sacrifice and our faith in him and his perfect life are accounted to us. So remember Jesus, he's the perfect sacrifice for our sins, but also when we believe in him, his perfect righteousness is imputed or reckoned to our account. And we're declared righteous because God doesn't see you and I as the old Joey or the old whoever you might be. Because if we're in Christ, a new creation, and we have switched from a positional condemnation in Adam to a positional righteousness in faith in Jesus Christ, and we have passed from death to life, this is the wide gate that leads to destruction, and many go thereby, but this is the narrow gate that leads to life, and Jesus Christ is that gate, and he is that only way. He's the door and the gate. We get his death for our forgiveness, and we get his righteousness for our justification. And we go up and down every day like the stock market based upon life's experiences, but our righteousness never changes. We're in the will. That's why Romans 8 says that we're joint heirs with Christ and we are the sons of God. And we're joint heirs and we're in the estate. So many people worry about temporal earthly estates. (laughs) The, the, The estate we want to be in is the king's estate. And our estate is through faith in Jesus Christ. And as we persevere through persecutions, afflictions, and trials and tribulations, it shows and refines us to be entrusted with the stewardship of what that estate will look like in the next dimension in the new heaven and new earth with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was righteous because of his faith, just like Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith. We're always saved by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because those who come to him must believe that he is and he's the reward of those who diligently seek him. And it's faith in his word. You eat from this tree, you'll die. This is a tree of light. This tree of knowledge is good and evil. You eat from that tree, you'll die. It's faith in his word, his declaration. It's faith in his character. God is good. Genesis 1 and 2. God is good. God is good. God is good. Very good. It's faith in his promises. The seed of the woman will bruise, will be bruising his heel, but he'll bruise your head. It's, see, it's faith in what he does on our behalf to forgive us. The animal skins even being expelled from the garden. It's faith in his promises that he's going to come and establish his kingdom. I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me, though he lives, shall never die. Do you believe this? He said to Martha and Mary. Yes, Lord, we believe. It's faith in who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised to do. And Abel was justified and declared righteous. Faith was here. Now, we just have to touch briefly on Cain because it's interesting because since we're told of the faith of Abel and the righteousness of Abel because of his faith, declared by Jesus Christ himself. Cain, we read a very interesting phrase concerning Cain in the New Testament. In the book of Jude, it's referred to as the way of Cain. It's not a good sentence to be in. He's with Balaam, and Korah. Balaam, the prophet who brought curses on the people of Israel, in his craftiness, he thought he could outsmart God, but he could not. The Balaam who had a donkey talk to him and still didn't get it straight. That's scary. That, that story scares me about as much as any story in the Bible, because you think if your donkey's talking to you, you'd be listening, but when you're so set on some fleshly, carnal lust. It's amazing how hard a person can resist the Lord. He just talked with his donkey. Like, he went into a conversation with his donkey. Like, oh, my donkey's talking. I repent, Lord. It's like, no, like, what? I, what, you know, they, but that's, as Pastor Chuck used to say, how, unreasonable people be, how reasonable people become very unreasonable when they're set on sin. You don't think straight. Korah led the rebellion against Moses he was swallowed by the earth the earth opened up to swallow him up and all those associated with him well in the same sentence it's the way of Cain the way of Cain is what we saw the way of Cain is religion the way of Cain is you know what I know God rejected my parents fig leaves but you know I'm a farmer and I like the earth and I like this world I'm going to build a great name for myself in this world. I'm going to name cities after my descendants in this world. He just did it his way. Here you go, God. This is me. Here's my offering. It was of the earth. It had no blood. And it definitely didn't have any faith. That's the way of Cain. Which is the way of world religion, of course. And human philosophies and psychologies and traditions of men. Which Colossians 2 tells us not to be deceived by it. But we're complete in Christ. The way of Cain is every human effort to ascend into heaven and make God a debtor to us because we're a good person and he has to accept us. The way of Abel is to be justified by faith. The way of Abel is God tearing the veil from top to bottom when Christ gives up his spirit for our sins. The way of Cain is the Pharisees, religious leaders, and all false world religions and all these philosophies of demented, deceived, demonically inspired men. The way of Cain is any attempt by humanity to save themselves and justify themselves before God apart from faith in Jesus Christ. So you can put everything under the way of Cain. And it's damned. And it's blasphemous. And it's outer darkness. And it's death. The irony of God allowing us to be self-determined creatures creating his own image for his glory is he allows us to blaspheme against him in that self-determination while we're in this dimension the way of Cain is death there's a way that seems right to a man but the end thereby is death the way of Abel is life i came that you might have life and that more abundantly jesus said we're told in the ephesians that by grace you've been saved that through faith not of works and you know the world picks on the church because the world likes its world religions and its buffets of philosophies and political viewpoints and all these things the the world loves to just pick and choose from Marxism, communism, whatever, fascism, and uh, throw in some uh, Darwinism here, and then just add a little bit of liberal Christianity or throw in some kind of cult or some kind of uh, Islamic branch and just you know, murder, rape, pillage, and destroy, take, and do evil. What Cain did to Abel is what religious people have done to justify people of faith throughout human history. So when you read Fox's book of martyrs or by their blood and these types of books of people who've given their lives, it's just the way of Cain. It's everything other than faith in Jesus Christ. But we are gathered here tonight through faith in Jesus Christ. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're gathered here coming from victory in victory to be built up in our faith and to fulfill those things that God has for our lives. Isn't that wonderful? We're not a political party trying to stir ourselves up into something that gets us in a frenzy. We're all, we're all wired differently. We all have different temperaments. But we are redeemed every time tribe a nation before the Lord. Righteous Abel, justified by faith. That's who we're with here. So that's why we sing these songs with Scott and Sam, these kind of songs. These are the songs of righteous Abel and Noah who found grace and Abraham and Isaac. And Jacob and Joseph. These are the songs of David and Moses and Daniel and Esther and Rebecca and the rest of them. Sarah, Mary. How about the song of Mary, Luke chapter 2? These are our songs. We can sing the songs of Cain or we can sing the songs of Abel. There's plenty of music in the way of Cain. But we're going to sing here in the next few minutes are the songs of the way of Abel. Righteousness and faith. See, there's a day when we're not going to be here. There's going to be a day when your kids drive by this church or your grandkids, and we're not here. And all the memories of all the food and fellowships, the weddings, the funerals, the dedications, the sending outs, the people that come and go, it'll all be a distant memory. But our faith in Jesus Christ will persevere through that. These relationships will stand the test of time for all eternity. We're saved by the blood and we're righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ. We have today and we're unified through this faith of Abel's because it's the shadow, but we have the substance. What he foresaw like black and white in an eclectic movie we see in surround sound in beautiful color, the fullness of everything in Jesus Christ. We're the church and God's got our back and he's got us in every experience, all these journeys of life. Some of you are healthy, some of you are sick. Some of you have your bills paid, some of you are waiting for a check that you hope comes, the miracle check. We're all in different places, but when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're in the place of the redeemed and the justified. And we're sharing time, space, and matter. And if people let us exist and preach the gospel, good for us and good for them. If they have no place for Abel in their Cain world, the way of Cain, then that's their choice. But we're called to be faithful. And we're called to come in faith. And we're called to come with our first fruits. And we're called to trust the Lord with everything we got until this journey's done. And that's why we're gathered here tonight, to be built up in this most holy calling. So praise the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, this is the kingdom. You can sing these songs. I remember not being able to sing these songs. But I knew when I was saved, I wanted to sing these songs. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. The only name given among men by which you must be saved. See, that's the beauty we have communion. We come here by faith tonight for communion. We don't come groping in the dark like, what are we doing here? No, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. This is my, the cup of my blood shed for you, symbolically. So from, from that animal executing the garden to Abel's animal, to Noah's, to Abraham's, to Moses and the Lamb the lambs, all the Passover lambs for almost two millennials to this. But those all look forward. This takes us back to a perfect grace complete through our faith in Jesus Christ. So when we have communion tonight, I encourage you to just enjoy the Lord. Come up and receive the bread and cup. Go back to your seat and and meditate upon the Lord. Jesus said to do it in remembrance of him. It's a flashpoint of our faith. Like the woman should grab Jesus' tassel. It's a flashpoint of faith. It's a flashpoint of faith for us tonight for healing, for healing, for vision, for comfort, for peace.